0: Alright, so in the spirit of transparency, I've been messing around the last maybe 10 minutes or so, trying to find a new placement for my phone to make the audio a little bit more bearable, a little bit more clear. So I know that I need to invest in a microphone and that there are microphone options for podcasting from your phone. However, we have instituted a spending freeze in our house for the month. Um, It's just a savings tool that I've recently had learned about and read about. You just take a month and you don't spend, uh, you don't spend on anything that is not a necessity like a bill or groceries. So I will not be buying a microphone for the foreseeable future. But the upshot of that is it gives me time to do some more research and find one that is more cost effective. And also because the idea of a spending freeze is you have more money saved at the end of the month. That means I can buy a higher quality one instead of just the one that I can afford. So with that out of the way, the thing that I wanted to do this morning, and I think I had mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when I uh, published, when I posted, oh no, Um, yesterday yesterday I finally got around to publishing what had been for a lot of people, a lot of my close friends, the much anticipated article on how I became a Presbyterian. You can find that on the Appalachian Roundtable page. You can find that on our new website updated by um, our producer Caleb. He's done a lot of work on the design. He's done a lot of work on just some of the features and some of the plugins. That URL is theappalachianroundtable.com it's one table table, The name of the article is Wesley to Westminster. My, it's either my road or my journey. I think it's my road to Presbyterianism. This morning what I wanted to do is give... Um, this podcast is just going to accompany it. So if you haven't read the article, read it. If you have read the article, still listen because you might hear some... Nuances, and you might hear some things that aren't that are over pat that are passed over in the article. So, the way that it's going to work, one last introductory statement the way that it's going to work is that these people aren't moving to let this fire truck over. The way that it's going to work is this week's article and the pot the podcast episode that you're listening to right now. Are a personal, sort of chronological following of what happened in my life. They're not um, position papers or theological defenses or anything like that. Just sort of the progression that I've made theologically over the years. Because I think that pe- the the pilgrimage that people go on theologically, they're just also fascinating to me. I have a good friend of mine, just by way of example, a good friend of mine. Who we went to the same independent fundamentalist Baptist college together. He actually graduated, actually got his degree from there. and that college was vehemently anti you know Calvinist, independent fundamental Baptist style. Um, he's now Anglican and is seeking ordination in an Anglican Church or in the Anglican Church in the, in the denomination here in West Virginia, and I think of another guy that graduated graduated from ABC. I wasn't as close to him. He was, you know, part of that same world. He was an anomaly. He was a Calvinist, but still we were in that independent, fundy kind of world, and he's now gone Orthodox, and I think of friends who are Presbyterians who were formerly not Presbyterians and some of the things that they had to work through and wrestle and wrestle with in order to get to where they are now. And I just think it's really it's always really fascinating to me from a personal perspective, not even a theological one, a personal perspective to see how people have come to some of the conclusions that they've come to, at least in a chronological way. So I first came to faith in a Nazarene church. It was really the only church that I knew. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up doing uh, BBS or Sunday school. Uh, I didn't know really anything about church. And in high school, I ended up going to church for a girl. Essentially, um, I am the <laughs> I am I am a successful flirt to convert case. I was flirted with and she converted me, and then I broke her heart. <laughs> uh, but I went to high school for, or went to a youth group for a girl, was really interested in, we were dating, and just heard the gospel taught plainly that by trusting Jesus, uh, I could have all of my sins forgiven. And I didn't fully understand things like who Jesus was. I didn't fully understand like what it meant to have sins forgiven. You know, there's a lot of even in the even in the proclamation of the gospel. There's a lot of theological language cuz words have meaning that can be unpacked for days and days and days. I didn't quite understand. But I I remember distinctly coming out of that youth group meeting and the first thing that I did I got in the church van, and the first thing that I did was just called, just went through my contacts and just called people. I said, hey, I just, hey, I just got saved, I just got saved, I just got, you know, I called, like, a friend of mine that I'd gone to middle school with, who I'd kept in touch with, hey, I just got saved. I called some Christian friends that I knew, hey, I just got saved. I later found out that that same evening, there was a youth group or a prayer meeting happening at another church we in the same town, and they were praying for people who were not who were not believers. They were praying for people to come to faith, and I was prayed for by name, by I don't remember if it was the girl that I was in Shokair with or her mom. But the point being that when I was coming to faith, when I was coming to faith, just moments prior, if not simultaneously somebody was praying for me by name to come to faith and the most the most frozen chosen rigid uh i don't really want to say cold but for lack of a better term cold systematician can hear i think you can hear a story like that and just get chills you know that's just, and maybe I'm biased because it's my story, but that's just phenomenal to me. That's something incredible to think about is God working in my life and working in my heart when I had absolutely no idea or really any interest, you know? Um, but that's when I first came to faith is, is in a Nazarene church and I was taught without any of these terms being used. I was taught things like dispensationalism and I was taught Wesleyan holiness and a, a weird, well not, well, yeah, a weird Nazarene understanding of sanctification, the idea of uh, sinless perfection, you know, all of these doctrines were things that I believed because it was the only church that I knew. I didn't know any different. And so in my mind, the things that I was being taught, that's just what Christians believed, and anything otherwise was not what the Bible taught. I was vehemently opposed to the idea that you could not lose your salvation. Um, I remember thinking, well, that's just absurd. Of course you can. Even though I also believed that you could obtain sinless perfection, and I believed that you could be sanctified, and, which means a different thing than what it means now, and probably means something different than you who are listening, who have a more reformed bent to your theology. But that's where I came to faith. And that was really the only church that I knew. And fast forward a number of years, I am surfing the internet, and I'm looking for uh, biblical answers to questions that I wasn't sure. I, th- I was almost afraid to ask a church. And I came across Mark Driscoll. And Mark Driscoll, for all his uh, downfall for everything that he did wrong and everything that he is um, condemned for I think Mark Driscoll in a strange irony because God tells the best stories has exposed more young men to reformed faith than, than anybody in our generation I think because Driscoll was the one that got us, got a lot of young men into exp- expository preaching and exegeting scripture and systematizing our theology. And he had a sermon on election. And the series was, if I remember, this might be I might be blurring some lines here, but if I remember the series was on Something along the lines of religion saves and nine other misconceptions or something like that, nine other lies, whatever it was and every sermon it was a topical series, but every sermon was on a on a on a doctrine okay, and one of them was on election and I remember just the way that he walked through, methodically walked through Romans 9 and the way that he illustrated election being an act of grace. He used the illustration of like your kid running towards the road. You don't just stand at the door and scream and yell and hope they turn around. Like you chase your kid and you grab him by the collar and you pull them out of the road and you pull them out of harm's way. And seeing that having that image in my mind really still today sticks with me and I remember listening to that sermon and not being able to rebut it and only by the, by work of God, only by God's grace, I immediately came to believe in the saving uh, in the electing grace of God just immediately, just no question just stalwart in that God Chose who he would save, you know, I couldn't have debated you into a corner over it, but I was just convinced of, it. there was, it, it was right there in the text, how could I not see that, that was in the scriptures, and that was another thing that Driscoll really did for me, I've ta- I talked about this in my Molded series, where I talked about how Driscoll influenced me, and that was something that he did, for, that was another thing that happened in listening to him, is, is I wanted go back to the text and I want to see what the text says and I want to know what the Bible says because that's what matters is what does the Bible say so through uh, Driscoll I become more or less again not knowing what any of these words mean an Emeraldian an Emeraldian for anyone not familiar is somebody who holds to the electing grace of God They hold to the perseverance of the saints. They hold to. They hold to the irresistible grace of God. But. They deny the definite atonement of Christ on the cross. So they are essentially four point Calvinists. And that was what I believed. I could not get over the atonement that was the hang up for me to becoming a calvinist which i didn't know at the time but i would in a number of years i would find out and that's the hang up in my experience for most people is what do you do with the atonement because all your life you're told that jesus has paid in full the sins for the whole world and when you're when you're told that your whole life or when you're told that your whole christian life And you don't know any different. It can be hard to. It can be hard to get over that. So. Driscoll made me an emeraldian. Driscoll led me to Piper. Piper really didn't do. um, Didn't influence me. Systematically. He didn't make me a Calvinist. He didn't make me a Baptist. Um, But. Through. Piper is where I I just started. I just started to read a lot of Piper. I started to read a lot and, and listen to a lot of Piper. I read a lot of stuff online. I didn't read his books, but I I hit, I, I really bought uh, full sail into the the idea of Christian hedonism, but that didn't really affect my soteriology or or any other systematic way. So. I get to Appalachian Bible College, and the hot button issue that we're going to solve finally, after centuries, every every freshman is going to fix this issue. You know, every Bible College freshman is going to fix whatever hot button. I I assume from talking to other people from other colleges that it's Calvinism, but it could be something different. But everyone's going to fix this issue. We're going to solve it finally. And so that was the issue that everybody debated. Because that was the issue that everybody debated, it was the thing that all my peers talked about. It was the thing that I talked about. And I was... I was ready to stake my life on the unlimited atonement of Jesus. I was ready. I'd, I'd put a let you put a bullet in my head before I bought into definite or limited atonement. I mean, tooth and nail, man. Tooth and nail that I fight that doctrine. And I remember being in the cafeteria and talking to my friend Xavier. I mentioned this in the blog. And we had finished eating, and we we had been talking about this our whole meal. And we had finished eating, and we had taken taken our dishes up and... And we were getting ready to walk... We had walked by to pick our books up to leave to go for... Go to class or go do something. And we stopped in the middle of the cafeteria. And we're, uh, were being... I mean, heated, like heated might give the wrong connotation. Like we weren't angry or anything. But we were both very passionate about what we were saying. And Xavier just... Man. Just parried everything that I had to say. And he finally looked me dead in the eye. And he said, Anthony... You're still an Armenian. You're you're just you're 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 an Armenian. And he said it with this very thick, um, this very thick accent from El Salvador. I think he's from El Salvador. If he's listening, he's gonna be very offended if I got that wrong. But with this very thick accent that I'm not going to try to recreate because I'll. Um, I'll butcher it, and it'll be very insensitive of me. But that uh, it made it that much more intimidating. And he said, you're you're still just an Arminian. And that was uh, really... It didn't push me back to Arminianism. It made me, re- in a roundabout way, made me realize I was denying my Calvinism. And then I didn't... Actually believe in an unlimited atonement I was just arguing for that because I didn't want to be wrong about this doctrinal thing and that conversation sticks with me even still today I mean that was I don't know how many years ago and I still remember that scene and that really that that scene replayed in my head so many times when I would I would argue or talk to Presbyterians so many times. It just played in my head like a... I, I don't have an analogy for that. And that, I think that, having that experience primed me and prepared me for later on when I would have to come to terms with being in denial about being a Presbyterian for, for no important reason. So I become a Calvinist at ABC... And as vehemently and as dogmatic as I was about an unlimited atonement, I'm now, I'm cage-stage Calvinist. I'm cage stage Calvinist. I'm out of Bible college. I'll tell anybody with a pulse about definite atonement. And man, I'll tell you what, I ate some, I ate some humble pie my first six months, six to twelve months as Calvinist. I mean, I got my I got rocked in debates. I just got absolutely rocked rocked in debates over the issue of the atonement. I would get... I would get beat up by professors on papers that I wrote. I would get beat up by uh, peers just at lunch or in the dorms or wherever we were. I would get... I mean, just like jumped in the classroom over it. Just I got absolutely rocked over it. And I just... I was so dense and so bullheaded that I never took myself back to the scriptures. I just dug my heels in and said, no, this is what I believe because it makes makes the most sense logically. Which is true. Which is true. But I never, I could never from from the scriptures defend my position well. And I basically just spent a year um, just eating humble pie. And it just wouldn't, uh, they'd knock me down, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't know that I was getting knocked down. And I'm sure that I got on a lot of people's nerves as a young, stupid Calvinist. Not stupid, because I was a Calvinist. I was a Calvinist that was stupid. So I leave ABC for a number of reasons. Drop out of Bible college for a number of reasons. And I end up now i'm uh, I've come across some cats in Charleston who uh, are also still debating theology and debating things like this and and I was relieved that it wasn't just happening in in Bible college and Once I become a Calvinist, the next thing that I had to get rid of was my dispensationalism, and that was the easiest one for me to get rid of. That took uh, Galatians 3 one time, and then that was That's pretty much... That was the it. The distinction between dispensational thinking and covenantal thinking is are the church and Israel two distinct entities? Are they two distinct bodies of of God? Or is there one people of God from Genesis to Revelation? And Galatians 3 just solidified that for me that there's one people of God because in that in that in that chapter Paul says that if you if you are if you belong to Christ if you have faith in Christ you're a descendant of Abraham so that that was easy for me to get rid of but then I had to think about okay what do I do then with the covenants What in what way do the covenants work? How do they operate? Like, what are what are the nuts and bolts? Like, broadly, I was a I was a covenant theology proponent, but there are so many camps under that umbrella that I didn't know how to define myself and what I believed about the way that the covenant functioned. So the thing about theology. Is you can have really broad terms like dispensationalist and covenant theologian and Calvinist and Baptist and Presbyterian, right? Like you can have these broad terms, these broad theological terms, or these broad denominations, but there are so many camps underneath that that one term that you feel like you're just splitting hairs every every book you read. And so, for example, just by way of example, you might call yourself a Calvinist because you adhere to the doctrines of grace, okay? You might say, I'm a Calvinist because I believe in total depravity, unconditional election, definite atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints, right? I'm a Calvinist because I believe in the saving grace of God, or the electing grace of God. I believe that Christ died to pay for the sins of those whom God chose before the foundation of the world. That God is totally sovereign over that. Right? That might be what you mean as a Calvinist. Somebody else might say that they are a Calvinist and they are not only talking about soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, but they're also talking about how they view the sacraments. Right? Like Calvin had a specific view of the sacraments that was not memorialism, which is the probably the most popular view now, which just says that the elements only remind us of what only remind us of what Christ did for us. All that to say, I say all of that to be the curtain behind when I say that I was a covenant theologian but didn't know what kind. I I just mean that I was not a dispensationalist. So I thought through like New Covenant theology, I thought a little bit about through progressive covenant theology and and some of these things I I still right now as I'm recording this haven't quite worked out but what I had to what I had to figure out what I had to piece together was is the new covenant comprised of the regenerate only or is the new covenant comprised of regenerate and unregenerate and that was the biggest um, once I was able to get over that the road to Presbyterianism became that much easier for me because once you deal with the nature of the covenant then you can answer all the sacramental questions then you can talk about the baptism question which is the issue like just be honest about it the issue is pedo or credo baptism? Do we baptize? Your, do you baptize all the children of believers, or do you only baptize professing adult believers? That's that's the that's the sexy thing that everybody wants to talk about. But behind that is what you do with the covenants. So I've just resigned myself that if the issue of baptism comes up, I don't even I'm not going to touch it unless we can talk about covenants. If you're not willing to talk about that, then we're not even going to get to baptism. Or if you're a dispensationalist, I'm not going to talk to you about baptism unless I can show you why, not in the sense of like convince you of and that you agree, but unless I can show you why covenant and your understanding of, of what that means will drive your view of baptism. And so once I was able to say okay there's so much biblical evidence even in the new testament that the the new covenant is comprised of regenerate and unregenerate persons both right like you don't even you don't even have to i don't even think you necessarily have to say that it's a different administration of the covenant of grace Okay, I think if you look at the New Testament data, you might have some room to say it's comprised of it's a different, it's a new thing altogether, but it's comprised of regenerate and unregenerate persons. I would disagree with that, but I could see how you come to that conclusion. So once I was able to see that that the new covenant was comprised of regenerate and unregenerate persons, which I'll get into. I've already got it written up. It's queued up. It just needs to be published next week. Once I And then I'll record a podcast the next day, I think. It depends on my work schedule, but I'll record an accompanying podcast the next week, the next day. Um, once I was able to get into that, then I had to figure out how, what is the entrance into the covenant. Because if if the covenant, if the new covenant, is comprised of regenerate and unregenerate, elect and unelect, elect and reprobate, then faith cannot be the vehicle through which you enter the covenant because faith is a fruit of regeneration, right? You have to be born again. And you have regeneration, and you have faith, and that's what connects you to the covenant. But if faith is a fruit of regeneration, then faith can't be the thing that ties the unregenerate to the covenant. So there has to be another door that you take to the covenant. Briefly, text the first thing that I the first text that I that I jumped to is John 15. Jesus says that there are branches that are attached to him that do not bear fruit that will be cut off and thrown in fire. How is that branch attached to Jesus? How does that happen? It can't be faith because it isn't bearing fruit and it's being cut off. So. Once I was able to come to the conclusion that I did and work through that, I saw no other door through which you were you had to walk through to get to covenant membership other than baptism. I didn't see it. Just from all the all the biblical data and all the debates that I'd had and everything that I it finally all just kind of came crashing down on me that the way that you entered into the covenant was through baptism and those baptisms in the New Testament were by household and if the covenant is just a different it's a new administration and it's this and Abraham's covenant was administered by circumcision to household and so is baptism. Since that's, the sacri- since that's the sign and seal now, it just all finally just sort of came together for me in a jigsaw fashion. So that I'm still working through the standards. Um, G.I. Williamson has a book called The Westminster Confession of Faith for Study Classes. I'm working through that. And I'm answering the study questions at the end of each chapter. I have been posting a one question every day from the Westminster Larger Catechism on my Facebook. Because I think that the things that are in there are truthful and are helpful and are edifying and are encouraging and are challenging. And also because if I do that when i read it and then copy it and then paste it and then read it and then post it and then read it i'm thinking i'm thinking through it right like i don't have all seven questions memorized but i'm working through this this system of thought when it comes to theology but that's that is more or less without getting into the defense of what i believe and without getting into the defense of how I got to where I am. That's how I got to where I am today. Theologically. And there's just things that. Once I saw. In the scriptures. I couldn't unsee. Couldn't unsee them. And the doctrines of grace was one. And the way that I view the covenants is. The other. And those are just such integral. So such. Such. Um, such important things to cover, such important things to understand as you're trying to work through your your own your own personal theology and figure out, you know, what the what the scriptures teach, and trying to do so in a systematic way so that you can organize your thoughts. Because as you're able to, just a quick uh, appendix here, I guess one of the beautiful things about systematic theology and one of the beautiful beautiful things about historic confessions and catechisms is they give you categories to think about so when someone asks you a question about your about the faith if you know your catechisms you probably have an answer for them cuz it's probably asked like the Westminster Larger I think is 196 questions odds are if they've if they're asking you a question that question is in the catechism and it's also probably addressed directly or indirectly in the confession so that's why it's good to have your theology systematized it's not the only way to think through theology but it is a good defense of systematic theology so at any rate, that's why um, that's how I became Presbyterian and you're not gonna change my mind. So don't try. Um, my heels are dug in. My boys are already baptized. I'm not gonna unbaptize them because that's not a real thing. And I'm not gonna re baptize them when they're adults because that would be silly. And I see no reason why. Anyways, thanks for listening. Thanks for letting me ramble a little bit longer than I normally do. 34 minutes. Man, what a doozy. Um, I hope this is helpful. As always, I hope it's helpful. I hope that you maybe learned something. I hope that you've been encouraged to think well and to think rightly about your own theology and really to not divorce it from your personal life. I don't think there's any shame in saying, I was in this station of life whenever I thought through this issue. So, for ex- for example, I was the station of life that I was in when I started thinking about baptism, when I started thinking about covenants, was when I knew I wanted to get married and have a family, and I met the woman that I knew that I was going to marry. I was like, man, in a few short years, I'm going to have kids, and I need to know what I'm going to do with them. So, even before I was, even before Abby and I were married, I would talk to her about these things and think through them and and figure out what it was that that we believed so it's not been a it's been a years years long thing to think through and to wrestle with and to grapple with Um, it's not been a quick flip flop that I was super dogmatic about one and I'm super dogmatic about the other no it's been years years and years of thinking and studying and trying to figure it out. So don't also don't be discouraged if you don't have an aspect of your theology figured out. If you're not convinced one way or the other, one way or the other on an issue, that's you've got the rest of your life. You're the rest of your life to figure out. I don't know what I believe about Pado communion. Right? Like, that's a thing. That's now a thing that I have to work through. That's now a thing that I have to think about. That's now a thing that I have to deal with. And I don't know how I feel. I don't know what I believe. I don't know what I think. I have some opinions that I'm not going to express here for a lot of reasons. But I don't really know what I think about that doctrine. I don't really know what I think about that issue. Um, which, pay to communion means giving communion to your your littles to your kids. Anyways, I'm done. I've taken enough of your time. It's been about 40 minutes now, 40, 45 minutes. So I hope this is helpful. I hope that you're able to, within the next week, finish this whole thing. Maybe listen to it again in case you missed something. And by all means, please reach out and ask questions. Reach out and um, push back. Reach out and debate and argue. Reach out and um, tell me that this is encouraging and that this is helpful and that this helps you to better understand. So, anyways, I'm going to go ahead and go now, because if I don't go now, I'll never go, and this will be a two-hour-long thing, and I need to go inside and, and eat and then go to sleep. Thanks again, guys.